0: How many of you have heard the name of Scott Kelly in recent days? Remember him? This is the guy that spent a year in space and hadn't been home too long. He writes, I'm sitting at the head of my dining room table at home in Houston, finishing dinner with my family, my longtime girlfriend Amiko, my daughters Samantha and Charlotte, my twin brother Mark, his wife, Gabby, his daughter, Claudia, our father, Richie, and Amico's son, Corbin. It's a simple thing, sitting at a table and eating a meal with those you love, and many people do it every day without giving it much thought. But for me, it's something I've been dreaming about for almost a year. I've contemplated what it would be like to eat this meal so many times, now that I'm finally here, it doesn't seem entirely real. The faces of the people I love that I haven't seen for so long, the chatter of many people talking together, the clink of silverware, the swish of wine in a glass, these are all unfamiliar. Even the sensation of gravity holding me in my chair feels strange. And every time I put a glass or fork down on the table, there's a part of my mind that's looking for a dot of Velcro or a strip of duct tape that's going to hold it in place for me. I've been back on earth for 48 hours. So began Scott Kelly's story about his year in space and how it has affected his life and will affect his life going forward. It's front of That little excerpt was from the prologue to his book, Endurance, A Year in Space, A Lifetime of Discovery. And I got the book for Christmas. My mother-in-law gave me the book, and, and I'm excited to, to be able to read the whole story over the next few weeks. But as I was reading that portion Monday evening, after all the Christmas Day festivities had quieted down and, and, and it was just me and the Christmas lights, uh, it sort of synced up with some thoughts that I'd already been having and, and always seemed to have during this week between Christmas and New Year's. Thoughts of reflection and self-examination concerning this year past and, and thoughts of anticipation and planning for the year ahead. Primary in my thoughts has been the reality of today. How much of today have I, will I, waste? How can I better live today? Not just today. Do you follow where I'm going with this? Not just today, but when tomorrow is today. How can I better live today? How can I be more productive, not just in a measurable way in terms of things checked off of a list, but in terms of influence and encouragement and love? This morning, the title of of the message as we go back to Psalm 90 for a second is Live Today. Here's the truth I want you to take home. Life is short. Eternity is close. And loving God and others with Christ-exalting love today is what matters. Life is short, eternity is close, and loving God and others with Christ-exalting love today is what matters. Psalm 90, verse 12. By the way, we're picking up where we left off in our reading earlier in Psalm 90. Moses says, teach us to realize The brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Moses is praying to God in light of the the bigness of God, in light of God's sovereignty, His holiness, His reign over all things that he's kind of painting the picture of in the first 11 verses. He turns the corner here and and he prays to God and he says, in light of who you are, here's what we need. We need you to teach us to number our days, to realize the brevity of life, the New Living Translation says, the shortness of life. Why? So that we may grow in wisdom. The NIV translates the verse this way Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. This verse gives, gives us wisdom's math, right? The mathematics of wisdom. You want to get wisdom, then you've got to learn how to count. You've got to learn how to number and calculate and and, and assess your days. You've got to look at the shortness of life and let it affect how you live today. And in so doing, you'll find and gain a heart of wisdom. St. Austin said of this verse, We can never do that except we number every day as our last day. Now that's true wisdom, is it not? Isn't that the heart of what Moses was praying when he said, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to count and see how short life really is so that we'll live today with all the wisdom from God that we can get a hold of. So that we won't waste this present moment. Life is short. Eternity is close. And loving God and others with Christ-exalting love today is what matters. Frederick Buckner said this, There is always the temptation to believe that we have all the time in the world, but the truth is we do not. How many times do you live according to that that tempted perspective, that imaginary world? Too many times I find myself believing that. Buckner goes on, We have only one life, and the choice of how we're going to live it must be our own. For each of us, there comes a point of no return, a point from which we no longer have life enough left to go back and start over. But here's the good news for us this morning. If you're sitting here this morning and breathing and think you're going to breathe for the next 24 hours, Lord willing, your life is not over. It's not too late to live today in a way that matters. No longer enough life left to start over. You know, there's a ruthlessness to time that demands that we spend every moment, all the time that we have, while it is today. We're on a train that's ever-moving through today, don't miss the ride. And don't waste the ride. Life is short, eternity is close, and loving God uh, and others with Christ-exalting love today is what matters. You know, the life of the Apostle Paul teaches us how to live today. Paul uh, gave his last 30 years of life showing and telling the world about the love of God in Jesus Christ. And I want you to catch this. If you've been kind of, if your mind's been wondering, zone back in on me for just a second. This is central. Everything we're talking about this morning, all that we're saying in terms of living today and making the most of today, understand everything we're talking about is about, we're talking about living life in light of the gospel. In light of the gospel of free, unmerited grace in Jesus. We're talking about a life that's transformed and empowered by the indwelling spirit of Jesus. We're not just talking about humanistically doing better than you've done before. We're talking about living in the truth and the freedom and the power of the gospel all for the glory of the one who died for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul would say this, of his own salvation, his own relationship to Jesus, he says, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, that would be Jesus, amen? Amen. Therefore, all have died, and he died for all. Why? That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised again. Paul said, you know what motivates me? You know what drives me to live the way I live? To suffer the way I suffer. To, to, to go to the, the, the links I go to to get the gospel to those who never heard. What drives me is the love of Christ. And his love for me and this world compels me. It, it, it's not that I just want to uh, you know, achieve a lot in my life and, and have a, a better resume. I'm not, it's, it's not just about having a better year next year than I had last year. It's about the world knowing that Christ died for them and rose again. And that love compels me in philippians 1 verse 21 paul would describe how he tried to live every day this way he says for to me to live is christ and to die is gain and in that passage he said you know sometimes i'm torn i don't know whether uh, actually it's over in second corinthians 5 he says i don't know whether i want to go home or stay to be absent from the body is to be present with the lord i i'm torn He comes to the conclusion, God's going to leave me here for a little while longer, and that's what God did, in fact, end up doing. But he says, if he leaves me, it's all about Christ. For me, the gain is to go to heaven, amen, to be in the presence of Jesus, not just to live to represent him, but to see him. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Living like this, by the way, in the context of Philippians 1, is the only way to live that shows the worth of, of the gospel, Paul would exhort the Philippians after he said that of himself, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He would say to the Philippians, live in a way, conduct yourselves in a way that is worthy of the gospel. What does that mean? That we earn our salvation? No. It means that that we can live our lives in such a way that we show forth the value, the worth of the gospel. The gospel drives us and changes us and motivates us to live differently so the world around, as we live different lives, can see the beauty and the glory and the value of the gospel. Paul suffered unbelievably to get the word out about Jesus. He ended up, in fact, spending his last year in the infamous Mamertine prison in Rome before being executed in the spring of 68 A.D. at the hand of Nero, one of Rome's most vicious emperors in his treatment of Christians. And it was from the bottom of that 400-year-old, and that was at that time, cistern, turned into a dungeon prison, it was from that place that Paul wrote his last recorded words to his apprentice Timothy, a young pastor in Ephesus. And he teaches us, in the, especially in the final words of that letter, and also even back in, in 1 Timothy, he teaches us how to live in such a way as to make the most of today, to live with that heart of wisdom of which Moses spoke. First of all, notice with me this morning, Paul teaches us to prioritize prayer for the salvation of all. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through 6. Listen to what Paul says. First of all then, first of all, of first importance, priority number one, Paul's saying. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is is the testimony given at the proper time? Paul says, Timothy, priority one in your church there at Ephesus is prayer. You need to be praying for people at every level of society, people all over the city of Ephesus, no matter who they are. Why? Because it pleases God, because God gave one mediator between God and all men. Doesn't matter if they're rich, poor, it doesn't matter if they're employed, unemployed, doesn't mean, doesn't matter if they're if, what their race might be, it doesn't matter. God's given one mediator between God and men, and for him, for for and in Christ was the ransom for all. So pray Timothy for the salvation of all. Make and prioritize prayer for the salvation of all. You want to really live today, then prioritize prayer in your own life. Prioritize prayer. To collectively as a church, for the salvation of all. If you join us next Sunday night at 6 o'clock, one thing that I promise you we will always do in our prayer services is pray for the lost. We generally and almost always also pray for the sick, for those who are grieving. But we make it a point in our collective prayer meetings to pray for the lost. Why? Because, folks, that's why we exist as a church. That's why we're here prioritize prayer. You see, life is short, eternity is close, and loving God and others with Christ-exalting love today is what matters. We're going to be walking through some verses now in 2 Timothy chapter 4. The second thing I want you to see that Paul teaches us is don't waste your life. Pour yourself out for the sake of the gospel, Second Timothy four verses uh, six. Verse, we're going to read verses six through eight uh, under this point. Don't waste your life. Pour yourself out for the sake of the gospel. Where'd that come from? Second Timothy four verse six. Paul says to Timothy, "As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering for God." Paul could honestly write to Timothy and say, "Timothy, I've not held anything back." I've given everything I had to, to, to getting the gospel out there across the, this world. I'm in prison now. I'm writing my last words to you. But I can tell you honestly that I poured my life out for the gospel. When you feel spent, what's it for? Is it for the glory of God in the gospel, or do you find yourself spending your life and then feeling spent for lesser things? Now, it's obvious some of those things aren't wrong. There's times when we spend ourselves for others. We spend ourselves in, in, in doing things that are good things, and even just at points, necessary things, right? But when's the last time you can say that you spent yourself For the gospel. The verses before verse 6 are Paul's exhortation to Timothy to faithfully preach the word, to share the good news of Jesus. And on the heels of that, he says, As for me, my life has already been poured out, Timothy. I've already done what I'm telling you to do. I've already poured out my life as an offering to God. Don't waste your life. Pour yourself out for the sake of the gospel. There are American Christians all across this country who are wasting their lives. They're busy, they're doing a whole lot of stuff, but they're wasting their lives because their lives are not being poured out for the gospel. Their lives are being poured out in pursuit of the American dream. And when it's all said and done, it will not even be a memory. Is that you? Paul continues, the time of my death is near. My life's been poured out and I'm going to die soon, Timothy. But here's what I know, Timothy, verse 7. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. Can we, can I, can you honestly talk like that? about our relationship with the Lord. Verse 8, And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Don't, mis- don't misunderstand verse 8. That's not, that the crowns we're going to receive, they're not about our own righteousness, amen? You understand that, right? You understand that your righteousness, Isaiah, is filthy rags? Are we all together? I mean, the best we can do is what Isaiah is saying is nasty. It's tainted. It's stained. If nothing else, in motive. And yet, even when we serve God and He empowers us by His Spirit and, and, and He works in us to give us a pure heart and, and he works through us acts of love and benevolence and goodness that, that show the world who he is. Do you hear what I'm saying as I'm talking? As he, as he, as he. Guess, guess who gets to take credit for that? Me? No. What's he going to reward in us? He's going to reward his own righteousness in us. Why do we long for his appearing? Because he is our reward. He is our portion, the psalmist would write. Now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. You know, eagerly looking forward to his appearing will affect how you live today. it's connected to the math of of wisdom that we looked at earlier. Realizing the shortness of this life and even looking ahead and saying, man, I'm ready for that life. I'm ready for eternity. I can't wait to see Jesus. It will affect how we live in the present moment. Don't waste your life. Pour yourself out for the sake of the gospel. What is it you need to do? In response to what God's done for you in Christ, maybe it's serving a friend that you know needs help, encouragement, just needs a listening ear maybe today. Maybe it's forgiving someone that you've held a grudge against. Maybe today is the day that that needs to end. And you need to really forgive just as Christ, God in Christ, has forgiven you. Maybe it's being willing to consider even as... Joe did a great advertisement for the International Learning Center, that possibility. We're not committed to that ministry yet, but we're, we're considering it. Maybe it's considering teaching English to internationals in our community in the coming year through an international learning center, it's saying, I'll, I'll, I'll commit to do that one week at a time, just to, uh, on a weekly basis, teach them, help them find a job, find, fill out resumes, get their citizenship, and in the process, share with them the love of Christ. Don't waste your life. Pour yourself out for the sake of the gospel. Life is short. Eternity is close. And loving God and others with Christ-exalting love today is what matters. Thirdly, Paul teaches us to prioritize our time with the high priority people in our lives for the sake of the gospel. What do you mean by that, Chad? Well, just listen to what Paul says here. He's, he says to Timothy in verse 9 of 2 Timothy 4 Timothy, please come as soon as you can. He loved Timothy, he was in prison. The next time he left that cell, he would be executed. He wanted to see Timothy. He says, Timothy, only, verse 11, only Luke is with me. Everybody else had deserted him, he said. Everybody else had left. When he got thrown in jail, he found out who his real friends were. Timothy, who was over in Ephesus, and Luke, who stayed with him. I came to visit them, who was there. But don't get the wrong picture. Paul wasn't afraid of dying. In fact, he longed for heaven, <laughs> Paul wasn't even in that dungeon panic-stricken, as some of us would be, to be alone in such an awful place. For as we'll see in a minute, he was very aware of Jesus' presence. But, But Paul still wanted and needed those that he loved and that had proven their love for him, and he wanted them physically close to him. Can I just encourage you, don't forego the chances you have in life, to be with those you love and those who love you. And when you're with them, tell them you love them. Why is it that sometimes we neglect those who matter the most in the name of work, or just being too busy, or something that's more fun? Even if it's a little inconvenient, let me encourage you, spend as much time um, as much of the time that you have with those closest to you, and then you won't have to live with the regret of not spending time with those that really matter in life. It's been a good week. It's always a crazy week, isn't it? Right? It's just weird. I don't know how else to describe it. It just doesn't go like you think it's going to go when it's just it's just confusing. We're all ready to get past New Year's Day right and kind of back into a normal routine because it's just kind of insane. But it's been a good week. I was able to spend... The day Tuesday was some of my kids on a long hike up Rocky Mountain. Uh, we had a good time. Uh, if you don't know where Rocky Mountain that that's not in Colorado, that's in Cherry Log. And uh, I'll show you sometime. But then yesterday, Betsy and I got to spend the better part of the day hiking up Cochrane Falls. I should say climbing up Cochrane Creek Falls. If you've never been there, if you have, you know what I'm talking about. It's a, it's a heck of a climb. There's no better place or time for talking them when you're walking in the woods. At least that's my firm and uh, humble but accurate opinion. And so uh, get out in the woods and talk to your family, right? And listen to your family, though. I'm not just talking about our families. I believe every Christ follower ought to have at least one or two relationships that are high-priority, purposeful, discipleship relationships, if you will, where iron is sharpening iron spiritually. That's why you get together. It's a big part of it. I'm not saying you can't actually be friends. I'm saying, though, that you get together with that purpose in mind. And you're working together to grow closer to Jesus. The Scriptures talk about this. Paul would exhort Timothy. He said, tell the the, the older men to basically disciple the younger men, the older women to basically disciple the younger women. I think it can happen among peers even that we sharpen one another. But I believe every Christ followers should have at least one or two relationships that are intense and, and focused in that particular way. And I do my very best to prioritize my time with the men that God has given me relationships with. We get together at least at least once a month, if not more often. Prioritize your time with the high-priority people in your life because life is short, eternity is close, and loving God and others with Christ-exalting love Today is what matters. But finally this morning, Paul says and teaches us in this passage something we already know, people are going to do you wrong. Expect it. Forgive them and quickly let it go and know that life's not about you. God will never leave you and His presence and power are enough for you to do what He's called you to do. We referred to this just a few minutes ago. Verse 16 says, Paul says, The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me, but here is heart. May it not be counted against them. Paul had already forgiven those folks that had left him, those friends that proved not to be. Verse 17, but the Lord stood with me and gave me strength. What's Paul saying? Is is Paul talking about just just getting them through, getting them through the loneliness? (laughs) Oh, no. But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. And he rescued me from certain death, yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever Amen. God, uh, Paul goes from being abandoned and the despair that we could feel when we were alone to a place of, of, of glorifying God and giving him all the glory and honor and praise for what he had done for him. Paul never took his eyes off the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul never, Paul's eyes and the eyes of his heart never left a vision of the resurrected Christ ruling and reigning from the Father's right hand over all things. For the glory of God and the joy of the nations through gospel preaching. He always had that picture in mind. And and again, notice, you know, sometimes we we just we're just asking God to get us through the day. We we, we our, our perspective is so limited and so introspective at times. We just don't want to feel lonely or abandoned. Paul said, Listen, God dealt with all that. I forgive the people that left me, and God strengthened me, but he didn't just strengthen me to get me through and help me have a good day, right? He strengthened me so I could preach the gospel in all, of its, in, in all of its fullness to the Gentiles. I'm not here just to have a good day. God doesn't leave us here just to have a nice life. He put us here to get the gospel to the nations. And when he strengthens us, it's for gospel preaching. And I'm talking to you, not just me. You're a gospel preacher. If you've ever heard this, the good news, then you're, you're one who can tell it. And God in the Great Commission, Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always. He said that to all of his disciples. That's a word to you. People will do you wrong. Expect it. Go ahead and get your heart ready to forgive them. And quickly let it go. Aren't you glad God forgave you, by the way? You say, You don't know what they've done to me. I don't. I, I don't. But here's the thing what have you done toward Holy God? I, I don't know what they've done to you, but I know what people have done to me, I know what I've done to people. I know how I've sinned against God, and you know know what God did for me? He he forgave me. And 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 Paul says, we are to forgive even as God in Christ forgave us. It's not an option. And something's clogged up spiritually in you if, if you get hung up right there. There's some disconnect between your understanding of God's grace to you if you can't extend that grace to somebody else. It doesn't matter what they've done. I love the hymn, grace greater than all our sin. That's what we've been shown. And that's what we're called to show. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can. And then after you deal with that, people doing you wrong, know that life's not about you. This, it's not about me having a good day, a nice life. It's about the gospel being heralded through me. And here's the reality, God will never leave me, and His presence and power are enough for me to do all that He's called me to do in getting the gospel out. That doesn't mean I always draw from the supply like I ought to, but the supply's there. And I may not have a good day, but it'll be the right kind of day if the gospel is seen and heard through me. Did you hear what I said? I may not even like that Tuesday, But if I'm faithful and draw from the power of God to do what He's called me to do and I do it in His power and with His joy then a bad day can be a God-glorifying day. Amen? Life's short. Eternity's close. And loving God and others with Christ-exalting love today is what matters. Today. Isn't that a powerful word? It's a word we don't think near enough about. We know it as the current date on our calendar, but it's a lot more than that. We are talking about all we actually have to give. Anybody. God included. We no longer have yesterday to give, do we? It's it's, it's gone. I cannot yet give you tomorrow because it's not yet come. All I have to give you is my today. All I have to give God is right now. Oh, I want to give him tomorrow. I wished I'd given him more yesterdays, more of the yesterdays. But all I can act on in this moment is today. Life is short, eternity is so close. And loving God and others with Christ-exalting love today is what matters. When I walked into Erlanger Hospital on Wednesday, December the 20th, I had no idea that I was in just a few minutes, along with his wife and three sons and their wives, that I was going to watch Leonard Mayfield enter the presence of Jesus. Freddie, we were on the phone together just before I got to the hospital. Leonard had a terrible heart attack the, the day before. I knew it was bad, but I, I had no idea. I just share with Freddie, I had no idea how bad he was. By the way, please continue to pray for Linda, Lyndon, Lenny, and Lindsay, and the rest of their family as they grieve. Lyndon uh, and his wife, Katie. Uh, I don't think they're here this morning, but they're, they're here regularly with us in worship, members of our church. And, Lyndon, if you listen to this message later on the church app, I just want you to know that you've been on my heart and in my prayers a lot during these last two weeks, and especially over Christmas. But as we sat there together in that hospital room at Erlanger and watched Leonard Mayfield pass from life to death, from time into eternity, it's, it's an amazing thing. To watch someone's transition from earth to heaven. It's incredibly sobering. It's a powerful moment, and it puts all of life in the most realistic perspective possible. It's Psalm 90, verse 12. The math's done for you. And in what you witness, you see the brevity of life. And you realize, you just know in your heart that things should be done differently today because of that reality. I'm thankful for the comfort of Psalm 16, verse 11 and, and how good it was to be able to Talk about this with that family. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We were able to know that in that moment, this was Leonard's experience. Psalm 73, verse 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you, the psalmist said, more than anything on earth. Is that true of you? My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. That's why why Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8, Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That's how Paul felt. Do you feel that way? tell you more and more, I understand what Paul meant. More and more, I find that sentiment in my own heart by the grace and mercy of God and by his spirit. John Piper said, I suppose for some of you, the thought of dying is so morbid, so gloomy, so fraught with grief and pain that you do your best to keep it out of your minds, especially during the holidays. But I think that is unwise and that you do yourself a great disservice. I have found that there are few things more revolutionizing in my life than a periodic pondering of my own death. And yes, that's really what this sermon is all about. Think about your death and do the math and let it give you wisdom for living today because that's all you've got. And see how your world is changed, not just your your schedule, but the world around you. Life is short. Eternity is close, and loving God and others with Christ-exalting love today is what matters. What will you do now that needs to be done while today is called today. I'm talking about action that must take place before it's too late. Not spending your days on yourself, but on what will count. Spend your life. Don't store it away. Don't make your existence a museum built to to what used to be. Make it a mission to bring about what can be. You see, life is not about preservation of the past, but purposeful living today for the glory and and, and just the, the splendor of the kingdom, the everlasting kingdom of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians ten thirty one sums it up. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do today, do all to the glory of God because life is short. Eternity is close. And loving God and others with Christ-exalting love today is what matters. Let's pray together.